Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Brian McLaren. He is chairman and CEO at Zoned Properties. We're going to talk to him about the what happens in the real estate world in cannabis. I think this is an area that's people don't always think about, or at least when they think about it, it might be too late <laughs> and they're kind of struggling with the situation, but really kind of understanding like how does the real estate market work around cannabis? What are the complications? Where is it going? Obviously, we're a super high growth industry and there's lots of resources that a growing industry needs. One of those key ones is real estate. And unfortunately, you know, real estate is a fairly limited resources. There's only so many square feet around in different areas and, and the status of those and what's the zoning and you know what are the development requirements. It's all kind of part of the mix. And Brian is in this world. I'm excited to kind of hear what he's learned, what he sees going forward and how it's going to shape the cannabis industry. So with that, Brian, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. And wonderful intro. It is it is part of the cannabis industry that provides both the most opportunity as well as the most challenge and area for stumbling. So yeah, yeah. And just such a great time in the industry. It's come a long way over the past 20 years. Before we jump into what's going on right now, um, I'd love to learn a little background. How, like, how did you get into real estate? How did you get into cannabis? Tell us a little of the backstory. 
Yeah, thanks, Bruce, and really honored to be here. I've been listening to the episodes as you've been producing them, especially over the past year, just some fascinating guests coming on to talk about this space. Yeah. Um, and really, that's what I've seen over the past 10 years in my journey in real estate and cannabis. A um, little background for the audience about me. My original passion and, and professional focus was on community development and sustainable planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I originally kind of kicked off my academic graduate career researching what makes a sustainable community. What are the aspects of our built environments, our, uh, the way we plan and organize our communities? How do we create a structure that is most prosperous for the most members of the community? And early in my career, I spent a lot of time navigating local regulatory codes, um, local planning and permitting, something as simple as putting renewable energy or uh, the first wind turbine up in a city can be extremely challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of different opinions, lots of variables. And then fast forward many years now at Zoned Properties, that's how we've built our company as a strategic real estate development firm. And we focus very specifically on how planning and real estate development can help the cannabis industry evolve and advance and really help, if when done the right way, really help the most members of local neighborhood communities and the cannabis professional community. And it's the translation from sustainability and sustainable development and cannabis development It's great. They're so similar, both born out of multi-decade grassroots movements, local advocacy, and gaining momentum as we help educate our neighbors, our colleagues about why sustainability and on that end, and for our discussion purposes, why cannabis is a really great thing, not just directly as a plant, of course, Mm -hmm. but why the industry itself that is emerging is going to help add value to each of us in our communities and the community as a whole. And we try to, for zone properties, our approach to the market, we try to bring that perspective and value from a real estate and community planning perspective. Yeah. And tell me about the first cannabis deal you did. I mean, what what was that process like? What did you kind of know that you were able to leverage? What you didn't know that kind sure. of became apparent as you got into it? I mean, what was that? What tell me about that first time? Essentially, going in totally blind, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and I imagine for anyone in the audience that is pursuing their own cannabis businesses, pursuing their own real estate developments for cannabis, they probably got started about the same way. So for our team, uh, we approached this space through an acquisition and investment opportunity where we own our own. Well, maybe Bruce, I'll back up a moment. So for zoned properties, we really have three core approaches to cannabis Uh real estate. First, we have our own portfolio of properties that we own within the company. We acquired acquired those, invested in the development of those properties and we lease those out to cannabis operators. Secondly, we have an advising and brokerage arm of the business. So we provide third-party clients with consulting services, with licensed brokerage transaction services. So everything we learned in our first few cannabis deals and then over the past decade, trying to bring that expertise and value to clients. And then thirdly, we have a a few strategic projects um, that assist with the real estate. So some property technology projects and and a franchising project we're working on. Full circle. I mean, that first project was, you know, everything from what's the risk here for 
being involved even indirectly in a federally illegal industry. I mean, this was almost mm-hmm. 10 years ago. It was still incredibly difficult to do effectively everything related to the business. And for real estate, that can come down to how you bring proper ownership and title of a property through escrow. Uh, Most escrow agencies, even to this day, still won't touch cannabis projects. Certainly how you move money involved in acquisition and investment developing in properties, how you move that even over to the seller or over to a general contractor can be challenging. And long story short, Bruce, we made just about every mistake in the book. And <laughs> so, you th- process, so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So we've, we've figured out really, you know, still, this is a creative process where I would say only in the past maybe six months am I starting to notice some traditional real estate companies, firms, services, even starting to consider entering into the cannabis space. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's just from the single project perspective. One of the things that makes this industry so challenging from a real estate development perspective and a property perspective, we'll set the landscape here for listeners We're crossing three different main marketplaces. We're crossing real estate. We're crossing localities, which essentially cities, towns, counties that govern real estate. And we're crossing cannabis. So when you look at that in the cannabis industry, an industry that still is federally illegal, it's been driven, I'm sure as any of your your listeners over time have heard from conversations, this has been regulated mm-hmm. and legalized state by state over time. So we have a really cool circumstances where we're getting to observe right now 36 different case studies in this country, 36 different state markets that mm-hmm. between medical and recreational adult use cannabis and marijuana marketplaces are all different. They license this differently. They regulate the operations differently. They regulate the real estate differently. So in this country, in the US, we have about 40,000 localities across all the states and districts. Uh, Those are 40,000 different conversations that our local community members are having either in city councils or board of aldermen or planning and zoning commissions. And really, up until recently, they were all trying to figure it out on your on their own. Yeah. And one of the most exciting things for me, Bruce, is I'm starting to hear from local planners, local governing bodies. They're talking to each other. So they're learning best practices. They're saying, what worked in, in your local community? Will that work in ours? And we're starting to really see that translate over time. It's going to probably take another decade, but we're starting to see that translate into at least having a bit of a playbook when you approach real estate planning. When we did our first project, there wasn't even any local code in the area that governed it. We had to help write it from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So So just give us a little insight. I mean, why why is real estate for cannabis not like, you know, I want to open a coffee shop or something like that? Like what what comes into play when when you're dealing with cannabis properties? Right. I think just the history of our industry. So we are witnessing the lifting of prohibition. We're seeing really at the past hundred years take a course correction in the paradigm that the war on drugs was a lot of propaganda, that this is an industry and a, a product, a plant that brings a lot of prosperity uh, into our marketplace. But that course correction takes a long time. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of kindness, a lot of persistence. It's from what I've noticed over the past decade, it's 
really just comes down to educating and having conversations. So even just a half hour discussion between you and I on this podcast could hopefully help educate thousands of people related to the real estate and local community planning. Whereas mm-hmm. a typical coffee shop, it's it's something we're familiar with. It's an industry that doesn't really bat an eye. Whereas if you bring up cannabis, when it comes to planning, permitting, finding that property, designing that property, there's a lot of bad information out there, which causes fear. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of unknown information, which causes questioning. So part of, I think, all of our roles as professionals that interact with this industry and at Zoned Properties, who've really tried to become ambassadors to push this forward is, is slowing down and having the conversation. You know, this is just another retail piece of real estate. We are still looking to be governed and regulated by standard local business practices that serve local community consumers. But it's really everything that happens in the background with real estate deals that becomes the most challenging. So when you go to developing a multi-million dollar piece of real estate in any industry, there are a lot of different professional arms that are involved in that. So everything from brokering the deal between the buyer and seller or the landlord and tenant Mm -hmm. to construction design and engineering professionals that enter into that equation, whether that's a retail dispensary or a large-scale cultivation and or production manufacturing operation. And this this is true in any industry. But when you add on the unknowns and the fear related to cannabis, just takes that extra push to get people comfortable. What are the different, I mean, you mentioned a couple of different sort of types of real estate or real estate needs. Like if if you look at cannabis, what are the big categories that that people are in need of real estate that that are that are just sort of fundamentally different from a real estate point of view. Yeah, yeah, and and again to set the landscape, remember for the audience we're crossing three different big marketplaces, real estate, local planning and cannabis. Mm-hmm. So while there's 40,000 localities that govern where the real estate can go, commercial real estate in the US as a whole is about a 15 trillion dollar industry. There's a, about by best estimates 15 trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate. Now, that's divided into various categories, hospitality, healthcare, offices. For cannabis, we're looking at three really specific types of real estate. We're looking at commercial retail. We're looking at commercial and industrial, which is where typically some indoor cultivation and then all of your kitchens, your packaging, your processing, your distribution takes place. And then some agricultural, where greenhouse, hoop house, or outdoor agricultural cannabis is is looked at. So if we cross those two, we're looking at about of that 15 trillion or so. And I know that seems like such a huge number, but it's important for what the cannabis industry is going to need. About 6 trillion of that comes into retail, commercial, commercial, industrial, and agricultural. And if we cross the projections of what cannabis in the US is, is likely going to become, somewhere around 150 to 200 billion dollar marketplace we're likely going to need between 50 and 75 billion dollars worth of commercial real estate to meet the market needs initially mm-hmm. and so those those categories for real estate of a retail dispensary or a large industrial uh, warehouse building or commercial site that's where we're seeing the most initial activity cannabis companies looking to get their retail footprint to get out into our local communities to interface with the public, and then large, large scale 
cultivation, processing, manufacturing sites to be able to support the supply chain. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. I know a lot of companies, you know, found existing buildings, they either retrofit or they convert into, you know, whatever facility they need, whether it's, you know, laboratories or growing or processing or, or retail locations like that. Is that, are those opportunities, um, have they been kind of gobbled up and, and now either you're, they're heavier lift conversions or people are doing new construction? I mean, what, what is this, you know, how, how has the market kind of evolved or what's the, what's the inventory look like these days? Right. And when we think about that inventory and the opportunity for cannabis real estate sites, there's two sides of that equation. You need to bring the capital with the investment opportunity to be able to acquire and develop those pieces of real estate, and you need to bring the services. So those two parts of the real estate development equation are so important. On the capital side, right now, because it's so difficult to access traditional banking, and what I mean by that for anyone in the audience that isn't familiar with cannabis challenges and banking, you would not be able typically to go to your local bank, your credit union, and borrow commercial real estate loan. It's just not available yet due to federal illegality and regulatory restrictions in the marketplace. So the greatest resource for cannabis real estate to date has been through these REITs, real estate investment trusts. These are groups that essentially act as a bank for real estate operators. They buy the property from the operator, invest in the property and the improvements, and they do a long-term investment grade lease with that cannabis operator. Equally important on the other side is, is really what we do at Zoned Properties, which is all the services side. And to your question, Bruce, the combination of these things are really important for, for what's available in the marketplace. As a new state brings a cannabis or marijuana program online, meaning they've either, either gone to the ballot box and had voters voted in the program or legislatively they've passed a new regulated program where they're going to come up with regulatory documents and processing, license applications, operating governance. Every single state in these case studies I mentioned, you know, watching how this works over time are going to happen differently. Uh, right now, New Jersey is imminently releasing yeah. their application process for new licensed operators under the adult use system. And there's a there's strategy and tactics here when it comes to the properties. So part of that application process, the nuance in New Jersey, for example, is that one type of retail license, you have to already have your real estate secured, very similar to the Ohio license application process that'll occur in November that will lead to a lottery. You have to have your real estate secured. You have to have zoning authorizations done. You have to have in oftentimes a budget and a, a tenant improvement plan with your contractor already in place. But back to New Jersey, there's a, another type of license, a conditional license, where you don't have to have that yet. So you can yeah. successfully submit, potentially be awarded one of these conditional licenses. But then you have the time clock starts and you have to get your real estate done in a certain period of time or you may be at risk of losing that license. And so there's a balancing act here where some groups are doing land grabs. They're, they're buying and securing property speculatively, preparing for submittal of a, a license or looking to be match made up with licensed operators. And there's going to be other groups that come in after the fact and, and likely may be scrambling to try and identify a limited number of sites. 
So to tie this thread together, even in a state, some of the states have limited licenses. So there's maybe only a couple hundred licenses statewide for a retail or cultivation. Mm-hmm. In a state like New Jersey, there's no state limit on the license. So it may be described as an unlimited license state. However, this is so important, there will be artificial limits on the the number of licenses that can operate simply due to local townships that either opt in, opt out, or limit the number of retail permits at the local level in their township. So for any operators or investors or, or property owners that are in one of these new marketplaces, Understanding that nuance is so critical to positioning the project so you're not too late mm-hmm. and so you're not too early. Well, it's interesting because I think, yeah, from the state point of view, that's quote unquote unlimited. But yeah, if the, if the municipalities, the townships are going to put limits, then it really becomes a question of can, can you get the right type of license in the right location and then have the right real estate location in there to be able to take, really take advantage of that zone right. or that, that area. But So what happens with these... And I haven't looked into the Jersey legis- the regulations on this particular item, but is there so they're unlimited having having your real estate locked up and ready to go versus provisional? They're unlimited unlimited license on both sides. Yeah, New Jersey is an interesting one. So essentially, how New Jersey and and let's see how this goes. But right now, I'm looking at potentially New Jersey and or Virginia as maybe having gotten it. Right. And what I mean by that is specifically related to how the local real estate occurs. Yeah. So in New Jersey, what they did is they essentially approached the townships in New Jersey. I think there's about 400 and change. And they said, you can opt in or opt out. So you can say, yes, we will have retail dispensaries in our township or no, we're, we're not ready yet. You, could, you can always opt in later, but there was a deadline to opting out. And if you didn't opt out, in theory, you could never opt out in future. Got so it. New Jersey has some, some ratios of which the total licensing and issuance of retail licenses have to meet a ratio of social equity and uh, mm-hmm. minority-owned businesses versus the total. But under the regulatory body, there's in theory no ceiling or limit of the total number. But at that local level within the townships, only about 93, 94 of those townships opted in at this point. Mm -hmm. A lot of those townships that opted in also included a certain number limit on the number of permits they were going to issue to retailers. So, you know, maybe there's going to be initially around 200 or so possible pieces of, of local permitting for retail. And there will certainly be some restrictions on what real estate meets zoning codes. But again, you know, nationally, we have about $2.4 trillion worth of commercial retail real estate. And in a time when lots of businesses have been struggling through the COVID pandemic and lockdowns, there's no shortage of available real estate, but there is a shortage of real estate that can be zoned and permitted appropriately under those regulations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's um, the, the limit is more on the resources than than declared through the the regulations. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, for someone that actually, you know, is going after these licenses, gets this facility put together, doesn't doesn't win a license, what do they do? Like what's the what's the backup plan for these folks right. that, you know, have invested invested right. this? Yeah, and that's the kind of nuance that 
back to a question you asked earlier, Bruce, you know, what's, you know, when we first got started and what kind of trends are there in the marketplace, you know, within the past six months, I mentioned, we're starting to see some traditional service professionals enter the cannabis space. And what I mean by that is large commercial brokerages are starting to dip their toes in debt servicers, property managers, escrow agents, and title agencies. These traditional real estate groups that are so necessary for real estate transactions are starting to enter. But until the average service professional in that whole sphere understands the nuance of cannabis, we're going to be in this kind of in-between period where it's really helpful to have experts in your brain trust especially locally, but also that are familiar with how cannabis projects develop to get creative. And specifically what I mean by that is let's let's say your state requires that you have a piece of real estate, quote, under your control. And that might mean that it's an escrow for acquisition. You might have signed and put some money down on deposit to have an option to lease it or buy it if you win your license. But making sure that you haven't, one, violated the regulatory requirements. So you've Mm -hmm. met the need specifically that's required by the cannabis licensing. And then two, that you haven't actually violated any local real estate regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the times, if you go to your standard broker or real estate professional, they're going to know the whole process for standard real estate, but they may have zero understanding of the nuance of cannabis. So when you get into those contracts, consult your local attorney, consult a land use attorney. You know, you don't want to get stuck in a obligation or financial commitment that you can't get out of. Mm -hmm. So going into these projects, assuming you're going to lose the license and seeing what what is that liability, what is that financial risk you're taking, the upside can be absolutely tremendous. In some of these limited license states, these licenses are worth tens of millions of dollars. And the properties that are zoned and permitted for those sites can be worth two, three, four times. We call it highest and best use in real estate. So Uh what will add the most value? In some locations, the zoning is so difficult and may may not change anytime soon that just having control of that property can create value. So you really got to understand kind of the different intersection of these marketplace spheres, you know, picturing the Venn diagram here, the tiny little overlapping section in the middle of all the circles. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, and I'm I'm sure there's stories of this, of, you know, when this all sort of first happening, that these properties that were, you know, like storage units all of a sudden became, you know, a hundred times more valuable because they could be converted into a cannabis business. Right. Yeah. It was was pretty comical. There was a a municipality, I won't name them out of respect for the the local (laughs) uh, planners who are really good people, by the way. But there was such a funny circumstance where they were getting public outcry of, of, you know, are we going to have a dispensary on every corner, just like a Starbucks? And so they, they tried to put common sense zoning regulations in place. And for whatever reason, they ended up with not allowing a, a dispensary within 500 feet of a bus stop. <laughs> and so their, I guess their theory on that was that one, that would limit the areas where they could be. And two, you know, any, the standard public wouldn't have to interact with them if, yeah. if they didn't want to. But unfortunately, what that did is it only allowed for literally three parcels of land in the yeah. entire municipality. Yeah. <laughs> that 
happened. And, you know, that's it's actually a good reflection. They did a really good job planning public transit if only three sites are not yeah. 500 feet, right? But <laughs> so those, you know, there were two licensed operators that were looking for property in that area. And you can imagine those three sites became, you know, Musical the owners chairs. of those sites yeah. hit, the, hit the jackpot. <laughs> so did they realize it? I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm always curious about those ones that you know, it's kind of a sleeper situation where people didn't realize they were sitting on property that were so valuable until until the froth started to happen. Right. But, so yeah. usually they don't. Here's a here's a gold nugget for the audience. If you're pursuing real estate, be fair, appropriate, and transparent, but do not <laughs> assume that the property owner you're approaching thinks that that property is as valuable as you think it is. Yeah. That's a lot of times where operators and clients of ours have gotten tripped up and we get called afterwards to try and help them fix it. But, you know, they're so excited about their cannabis project. They're so concerned about getting that property owner where they're looking on board that they've really, really sold the value of cannabis. (laughs) And now the the landlord property owner starts to do their own research. They read a few (laughs) headlines and dollar signs. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden, the the amount of money you have to deposit with that property owner is quadrupled. Yeah. No. Um, I'm curious, since you're, you know, have pretty good perspective across the industry here, any other big trends, either in terms of, you know, which which type of properties are becoming most sought after or, you know, technologies or stuff that are going into the properties? What are you seeing in terms of the future of cannabis real estate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technology is huge. Um, I, I know for anyone of the likely 50,000 people that are descending upon Las Vegas for the for <laughs> Vegas week and the conferences, uh-huh. you know, venturing out onto the expo floor of MJ BizCon, you're probably going to meet thousands of, of new technology vendors. Yep. So that's an exciting part of the real estate equation because the guts of a building, even in the retail point of sale systems, uh, digital menu boards, really, how do you make the consumer experience worthwhile, but definitely on the production, cultivation, processing side, you know, this is looking like it's going to be a 150 to $200 billion industry. Yeah, It's evolving and emerging really quickly. That's a lot of value for new engineers, new inventors to get involved. And then just in our com- back to the community level, Bruce, uh, there was a report that I think just came out actually yesterday. All, I believe it was Redfin Real Estate put a, a survey out and a pretty wide, widely broadcasted survey of respondents. About 43 to 44% of respondents, I believe, said they would move to a location that had regulated cannabis. Mm. That is a significant movement over time. Even a few years ago, it was believed that a very low percentage of people wanted to live somewhere with regulated cannabis. And it's just, again, part of that history of propaganda. Yeah, This is an industry that brings economic development, massive job growth, massive tax dollars locally, yeah. you know, billions of dollars in taxes being redeployed into the community. Um, it increases property values. So people are wanting to move to locations where they can access regulated cannabis. And some really fascinating crime statistics. You know, we're still pretty early in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need several years to be able to track true trends, but it appears as though neighborhoods and communities with regulated cannabis this is are seeing pretty significant declines in opioid abuse, seeing pretty significant declines in violent crime. We commissioned a study with a local police department a few years ago that assessed 
reported crime. And of course, there's nuance in this data of, of crime that's reported versus actually occurring. But yeah. um, it turns out that the retail dispensary site was one of the single lowest categories of retail in that municipality that was within a mile and a half proximity of crime events. I mean, from the trend perspective, it's so exciting because we're just getting started and we're already seeing these results. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, and I'm kind of a kid in a candy shop here. I get to go out and meet all these teams, and yeah. I'm just a kind of nerdy planning and development <laughs> guy that um, gets to kind of watch all our clients and all our projects do some really, really cool stuff in the industry. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's, uh, it's a fun industry, and, and you're in a really fascinating part of it. I think that's... Um, you know, it's one of these interesting kind of sub subdomains of cannabis that people don't necessarily understand, and and I would say appreciate completely. But it's uh, uh is is core core to development and to the growth of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's the real estate stumbling blocks, and obviously, I'm biased as a real estate yeah. professional, <laughs> but it appears as the real estate needs kind of we call it navigating the labyrinth but those the real estate tends to be one of the significant ones that project teams stumble upon. And without the right guidance and experience can often kill a project. So whether that's deploying capital through budgeting of what the project is actually going to cost, what the permitting is going to cost, how much time it takes to get the permitting and zoning done as part of the initial project steps, um, all the way to even just finding a property. I mean, if you want to go for a retail dispensary site in Portland, Oregon right now, it is uh, extremely difficult because the market's so saturated. Yeah, Um, yeah. So understanding that up front and, and having experts on your team is really critical and just being there for each other. We're all in this together. So mm-hmm. the advancement of this industry helps everyone involved. Yeah. Brad, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Zone Properties, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, thanks, Bruce. So um, please visit our website, www.zonedproperties.com. Uh, if you're interested in local planning and zoning updates all day on our Twitter feed at Zoned Properties, constantly putting out information about local permitting and zoning codes, case studies, kind of where that stuff's happening throughout the country. And for anyone who has just any questions or wants to have conversations, please feel free to email me directly, brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at zonedproperties.com. Thank you so much, Bruce, for the conversation. And anytime you need some uh, some eyes on any real estate stuff, we're happy to lend a hand. I know. I know who to go to. I like sure that all the links and everything are in the show notes so people can get that. Brian, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.